For those of you visiting with us tonight, we're in the middle of a series uh, that Wes very aptly titled, The Meek Will Inherit the Earth. Taken, of course, from Matthew 5, 5, uh, the third beatitude. And before we jump in tonight, I want to lead us in prayer as we get started. So let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Almighty Father, you are so good to us. Lord, we thank you for this time to open your word. We thank you for this time to consider your son. We thank you for the life he led. Lord, we know that the most important thing he did was to redeem us by being sacrificed on the cross for our sins. And Lord, yet he did so much more. And tonight, we look forward to examining this aspect of his life and ask that you would help us to leave here more submissive to your will, better listeners of the Holy Spirit within us, and more effective workers in your kingdom. Through Jesus we pray, amen. Go ahead and... uh, Switches there, Tim. So tonight, we are in a series, like I said, on meekness that Wes began at the beginning of September, and he's done a marvelous job uh, doing something I'm going to spend just a little bit of time doing tonight, and that is building a foundation that says, essentially, um, we've struggled to understand meekness. So I really appreciated him stepping us through Psalm 37. Psalm 9 and 10, Isaiah 61. And then he said, we need to have some illustrations. So it was great to listen to Mike Dixon's lesson last week on Moses. Tonight, uh, as uh, Wes and company head to Estonia through the night, I've been privileged to get the opportunity to talk to you about Jesus. And Mike Willoughby will uh, finish the illustrations, per se, from a character study standpoint next week as he looks at the life of Paul and how meekness played a part in his life. When I first got the assignment, while it's always exciting to talk about Jesus, right, Allison? It's always exciting to talk about Jesus. You sit there and you say, Jesus was meek. Duh. I mean, yeah, of course he was. What should you talk about? So as I looked at this and what a... I'm so glad Wes asked me to do this and told Cindy a couple of weeks ago, God speaks to me when I have to teach because I realize how lacking I am in this characteristic and in this trait. And so it's been a glorious and wonderful education. So I thought, how can we best convey what Jesus was as a meek person? So tonight, we're going to spend a little bit of time understanding, again, cultural definitions and why we just don't have this right in the English vocabulary and the English culture. Uh, It's complex. I think this might be the most complex definition of, of a characteristic I've ever tried to tackle. Somebody says, oh, they're meek. Well, they can mean so many different things, and I want us to break that down a little bit tonight. We're going to look at two scriptures around the life of Christ from the New Testament and look at the old, their Old Testament counterparts and see how they're intertwined and put that together. And, of course, we'll talk about how Jesus lived this concept and see if we can have some takeaway lessons when we finish tonight. So if you want to, uh, 
You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, but let's talk about this whole concept for a few minutes. The simple fact of the matter is, meekness is not something we're born with. It's not a natural characteristic. And our Western culture, for the most part, wants no part of meekness. No part of it at all, as we define meekness in in the English language. We'll get that in a second. No, we live in a world where self-expression, self-reliance, and discovery of your self-image is so much more important than being submitted to the will of an almighty father. You know, we're taught to first love ourselves very much, and, and even in the church, we've let this infiltrate us a little bit. Uh, maybe quite a bit, where sometimes the emphasis is on loving ourselves first, and only from that standpoint can can we then be an effective Christian. And don't get me wrong, uh, part one of the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and, and spirit, right? And what's number two? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So there's there's a fine line to walk there, but we should never lead by wanting to love ourselves so much first, and then everything fall after that. Next slide. Let's talk about things, some things meekness is not. Number one, it's like we said, it's not a biological or, origin. It's not natural. Some people are not born meek. We, they may have some aspect of, in their makeup that makes them more gentle or makes them uh, maybe more humble. We could talk about that, but It's not something you're born with. This is learned behavior. Number two, this does not refer to someone weak in character from a biblical standpoint. This does not refer to someone who's weak in character, who can be uh, pushed around, so to speak, from, from a moral perspective. It doesn't refer to a spirit of compromise or peace at any price. And I think we'll see... And as, as I step through these, think about if you were to talk, at, talk to someone at work and say, I really want to be meek, what would be going through their mind? Finally, it's not a matter of outside demeanor. And I think that's, this is where sometimes in the church we, we might praise the right behavior at the wrong time. Because a very, very key part of meekness is being able to Stand up for Christ when you need to and stand up for the right when you need to and it might not be harmonious and it might not be peaceful. As a matter of fact, Constantine, when he looked at this word and, and they put it in Greek, the, the, the Greek word most used for meek in the New Testament is praus. And praus, uh, Constantine said, really is defined by this. Number one, you know exactly when to get angry. And you know exactly when you shouldn't be angry. (laughs) So I thought that was an interesting perspective. Next slide, Tim. Meekness is compatible with great strength. On the positive side, it's compatible with great authority. And it begins with a true estimation of ourselves. And that's where that humility component comes in. We have to always keep that in mind. But sadly, in our culture, we tend to associate Meekness with, with spineless, weak, quiet, and submissive behavior. As a matter of fact, if you took your phone right now and Googled meek, 
The definition you would get from Google would be quiet, gentle, and easily imposed upon. Submissive. Who wants to be like that? I don't know. I, think for, I don't think that's real attractive for anybody, especially when we talk about moral character and we talk about doing the right thing at the, at the right time. So we need to go back to the original intent of the Scriptures. And the original intent of the Scriptures has to do with this word Wes has been going over in the last few weeks, anav. And was able to do some fascinating study. This, this word itself, if you look at what Hebrew teachers, Jewish teachers of today will tell you what this word means, it's fascinating. There are multiple um, tenses, uh, versions of the word, and singular, plural. It's fascinating. But look at this, this text for a minute. I'm going to let you read it while I tell you where it's from. The Torah class is a group of Messianic Christians, excuse me, Messianic Jews and Christians who really want Christians to understand the foundation that we have in the Old Testament so that we can better understand Christ in the New Testament. And look at this, this content. The Hebrew language is consistent, just like Koine Greek, amen? Every letter has meaning. Letters are built into root words which have meaning and root words are added or combined to make other words. The words that are created carry the meaning of all they are built upon just like the New Testament is built on the Old Testament. Okay? And that art, that depth, that dimension of understanding oftentimes is lost in our English translations. Next slide. So we know that the meek shall inherit the earth, but as Wes pointed out in his lesson on Psalm 37, the promise of meek inheriting the earth is not a New Testament revelation. It comes from the whole notion of what Psalm 37 was all about. Getting to the point where verse 11, he says that the meek will inherit the earth, or the anav. And anav is a condition of a person. It's a characteristic of someone's heart. Next slide. And the condition of one's heart shows through one's actions. So quite simply, we cannot ascribe one English word to a nav. If we see this word only as meaning humble or meek or lowly in the English sense, sense we just lose so much. I love this line from Wes because I think this helps shape our perspective. And we should never forget that meekness is about patiently enduring the present in light of the future. We also said that meekness implies some kind of suffering, right? The Anav are afflicted, but they surrender their enemies to God. Any of you think of a time when our Lord and Savior surrendered his enemies to God? Crucifixion? Absolutely. When else? Judas? Okay. Absolutely. What else? Who's his, who's his most chief enemy? Satan, right? 
Do they have a, an encounter that we, we read about in Scripture? Absolutely. We'll go through that in just a minute. The Anav know that the wicked are temporary, and that's just re, you know, repeated and repeated in Psalm 37, and that God will take care of the wicked. What is our natural reaction when some, we're not done right? We want to take things into our own hands, don't we? Okay? That's not me. That's not me. However, perhaps helping someone who's in a bad situation might be the meek thing to do, subverting our will to maybe want to stay out of it, and yet listening to the Spirit to go help someone. That might be a very meek thing to do. See the difference? The Anab know that God will raise them up, even if it might even be in the next life. They trust God's will enough to submit to it no matter what. Any questions before we get started and jump in? Yes, sir, Willie. Yep. But he, he knew he, what he told her. She would never forgive. She would never forgive. Absolutely. And being able to do that in crisis situations is absolutely a key, key characteristic of being a meek person. I got a long way to go. <laughs> so do I, brother. Anything else? All right, so Jesus and meekness in the first, in the first uh, excuse me, in the New Testament. Turn to Matthew chapter 11, and let's read together. Now, whenever you look at Scripture, what do we, what do we always say? Text in, text in context, right? Okay, so here we are in Matthew 11. And one of the things I, uh, I love about Wes's reminders Read the whole book to get to a particular point. And that's going to make, make it very important when we look at the Old Testament reference here in just a second. Chapter 11, uh, we've got an encounter with the followers of John the Baptist. And then Jesus, in verses 20 through uh, 24, really gets after people for being non-believing says things like, woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida. The mighty, if the mighty works had been done, done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And he talks about the days of judgment and different things. So when he gets to verse 25, it appears that he's more around his followers. It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal life. Come to me, all who are labor. All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek 
and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the New Testament, there are just a few references that crisscross Jesus in either using the term meek, like Sermon on the Mount, which we've read. Blessed are the meek, for they will what? Inherit the earth, right? We have this reference in Matthew 11 where it's a self-description. In Matthew 21, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem in the Hosanna scene, he fulfills a prophecy. It says, here's your Savior coming in on a a colt, lowly or meek, or lowly and meek, or lowly and gentle. The rest of the scriptures largely describe meekness and admonish us to be meek in different places. So when I thought about the the scriptures to illustrate this, I thought the self-description might really be a a powerful way to do that. And with the scriptures, it's amazing what you find out when you dig in. I had never thought about the correlation on what Jesus was quoting. Didn't even think about it. But if you'll look, there's probably a footnote in your Bible that references what scripture that Jesus is is quoting. In verse 29. Not a psalm. It's actually Jeremiah 6. So flip it on over, Tim. And... To get to Jeremiah 6.16, what do we say we want to do? We would do text in. Man, I'm losing you. Text in. Context. Okay, good. So when did Jeremiah live? Did he live in a good period for Judah and, and Israel? Absolutely not. What's going on? King Josiah is there, but what, what has God given Jeremiah the ability to see? Just say it. Destruction is coming, and it's coming to you. And the first five and a half chapters talk about how bad it's going to be. They talk about how God's people have turned away from following him in, a very, in very specific ways. So I sat on the plane the other night reading Jeremiah 6 going, oh my goodness, and you're going to find rest for your souls? How in the world do we get there, Jesus? Help me. Help me. So, thus saith the Lord, stand by the roads and ask for the ancient paths. What would the ancient paths be? His ways, exactly, Kevin. Moses had laid out God's way, had laid out how they were to follow him, and they had certainly strayed from there. The ancient past, where the good way is, and walk in it. And what? You will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls. Isn't that a great thought? The only problem is, here's what happened. But they said, we will not walk in it. 
All right, now zero this back into what Jesus is saying. Who was it who took over Judah? Was it, was it godly men? Absolutely not. They had just seen Assyria overtake the northern kingdom. And before too long, Nebuchadnezzar and, the southern, and, and, and Babylon would take, overtake the northern kingdom. And they were absolutely oppressive. Absolutely terribly oppressive. And every Jew that was listening to Jesus at that time knew exactly what had happened. And also knew that if, they, if he referenced that line, he wasn't trying to draw a parallel. He was trying to draw a contrast, right? So instead of it being terrible like it was around 600 B.C. before the fall, Jesus is saying, I'm not a self-seeking country like Judah was. I am not a self-seeking ruler like Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were. I'm meek and lowly in heart. I submit to my Father's will. Come to me if you're burdened and you really will find rest for your souls. Amen? Okay. Next example. Any questions on this? Any thoughts? Before we press on. Okay, Matthew chapter 4. Allison, are we having enough inter interaction here? I feel a, little, feel a little lonely. Just tell me yes or no. It's okay? All right. Willie's the only one who's talking to me besides you. <laughs> what do we say about enough people? that they're able to patiently endure the present in light of the future so that they give their enemies up to God. The Bible tells us in Matthew and then also in Luke that Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. 
Next slide. So, a few observations. As we think about Jesus being meek in this scenario, these challenges from Satan were to his identity. If you are the Son of God. Not so much whether or not, but what, what did it mean to be the Son of God? So not proving it, but deciding what it meant to be the Son of God. And essentially, this is a temptation that, in, in an angle of this temptation, I don't think we think about it in, in our, in our, in our uh, world, in our relationships. But Jesus would not use the closeness, the relationship that he had with the Father for either self-serving or misguided reasons. No. Just as he said in the garden, not my will but yours, Lord, be done, here he fully submits to the will of his Father. And I think one of the powerful things he does here is provide us an example on how to use Scripture to remain meek. So keep that in the back of your head as we press on. Let's look at the parallel scriptures from the Old Testament. Now, somebody tell me what deuteros numos means. Thank you, John. Marlon Conley taught me that, by the way. Deuteros numos. Yeah. In early Hebrew history, first semester at Lipscomb. How about that? Yeah, second giving of the law. So I found it interesting that in this time of temptation, in, in the second giving of the law, John, how would you characterize the book of Deuteronomy? Absolutely, and Marlon just 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 came to him and remembered. Moses gives three retirement speeches. Look back. Look back at all the good things God has done for you. Number two, look up to God as you go into the promised land. Number three, if you don't, look out. <laughs> he was a great guy um, and great teacher. Had a way of helping you remember things, you know. So as we think about that, I want, to, I want us not to miss something. Look at Jesus' response to the first temptation. And here's the context of what he gives him. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised to you and your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart and whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, now we know exactly where Jesus is drawing from to get his answer. Tell me what's more profound than just saying, okay, I'm hungry, but I'm going to put you off. Why, why is this so specifically profound in Jesus' answer?
Hold that thought. Let's look at the other two. We'll come back. What do we say our main objective is? Meekness is about patiently enduring the present in, in light of the future. Hunger won't push me to change or wilt under pressure, right? Why? Because I'm meek. I'm under my Father's will. I'm, I'm, I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the second and the third temptations. Go back two chapters to Deuteronomy chapter 6. What's special about Deuteronomy chapter 6? How does it start? With the Shema, right? Well, probably a scripture that a lot of us could quote. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You are to teach these words to your children when you rise up, when you lie down, all that. That, that takes you to verse 9, verse 10. And when the Lord brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. You shall serve him, and by his name you shall swear. Everybody catch that? Serve him only, right? You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and he's a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. And go ahead and flip the next one, Tim. Be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. So, I like to say Jesus used the cliff notes of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy to come right back at Satan with these three specific things. We often focus on, well, there was a physical temptation, there was a pride temptation, yeah, yeah, yeah. The more I study this, the more it's simply about, is it God's will or is it my will? God's will or my will? Are we able to endure the present in light of the future. So, let's come back to our question. Looking at the simple fact the matter is, back up one, Tim, if you will, please. Backing, looking at our question, why is it profound that Jesus used Deuteronomy to answer all three of these temptations? Okay, very good. Got to use scripture. Why Deuteronomy? 
What is a, some of my Hebrew scholars, when a 12-year-old little boy goes through a ceremony called a bar mitzvah where he becomes a son of the law, what is he memorized? Say again. He's memorized Deuteronomy 6 for sure. Probably Deuteronomy 8. I don't know the complete answer to that, but I do know there's some memory that, that, that work that every son of the law who successfully finishes that regimen has to memorize. And it's amazing to me that our Lord used what would be the common scriptures that would be the review of the law to come right back at Satan. You don't have to get in this complicated theological argument. It's kind of like Joseph. When Potiphar's wife says, come to bed with me, he says, no, how can I sin against you, my master, myself, my God? I'm, how? No. Not, not right now or maybe another time. No. Right? In the same way, Jesus is saying, don't put your Lord to the test. Don't serve other gods. Serve only him. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Yeah, I'm hungry, but you know what? It's a whole lot more important to have my, my spiritual wits about me. I'm not professing competence on this by any stretch of the imagination. Willie, a second ago, you said you've got a long ways to go. I do too, brother. I encourage all of you to deeply consider these principles. So let's look at meekness again. Go ahead. Biblically, this is how we would define meekness. And you want to be this person. I'm sure I don't want to be spineless, weak, and easily overturned, right? But I do want to be mild of temper. I do want to be soft with a little child. I want to be gentle. I don't want to be easily provoked or irritated. I'm working on that one. I want to be yielding when I need to be. And when I'm injured or hurt, not just physically but emotionally, and even more so spiritually or, or emotionally, I'm going to practice forbearance. I want to be appropriately humble. I want to be submissive to God's will, not proud, self-sufficient, refractory, not peevish and apt to complain of divine dispensations. Just to double check, I had to look up peevish. You know what Google will tell you peevish means? Easily agitated, especially for things that aren't important. Y'all guilty of that? I know I am. Next. So what are our takeaways tonight? Brothers and sisters, I think the scriptures really help us demonstrate God's previous action and just to hang in there for his deliverance. It's going to be here, it's going to be in the next life, but it's going to be. And I think faith is demonstrated by recalling God's faithfulness and examples that Jesus gave us, like explaining by uh, in referencing that, that, the peace on manna for 40 years. Different areas for Moses. And he does use what I call the cliff notes of the, of the law to bring a simple defense to the arrows of Satan. We're told in Ephesians 6.17 
take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When we think about the armor of God, it's the only offensive weapon we've got, so I can't emphasize enough. In the Scriptures, memorize the ones that are important. Now, it's all important, but when you think about the chapter that tells us, gives us the greatest command in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and some other things, understand that these are major things that Christ wants us to, to know. Understand the difference between 21st century Western culture meek, which is a horrid definition of a person. While we may, may have concentrated on some sweet characteristics that people have and say they're meek in a good way, I think for the most part our culture has taken that word away from us. And we ought to redefine re it biblically and think about this whole notion of being a nov. And we need to seek these qualities, qualities of the enough. The condition our Father delights in, the condition of our heart that pleases Him, and it can't be contrived. It's not for show. We've simply got to forget ourselves and complete, be completely open and trusting and prepared for Him and His work for us. Whether it be in a bent knee, physically bowing down to Christ, kneeling or taming your tongue. We need to credit him alone for every good gift that we have. We need to accept his discipline, as difficult as it is, and accept it with gratitude, but always, always be mindful of his instructions. And that's what meekness is all about. And obviously our Lord practiced it better than anyone, rather than being, for lack of a better term, frustrated about what, how to pursue meekness, I was very encouraged by this study because meekness is the exact quality of our Savior and how he lived every aspect of his life. Any closing thoughts as we wrap up tonight? Any questions? Thank you. Let's pray as we finish up tonight. Eric, do we have another song or are we, are we done? Eric, where are you? We're done? Okay, this will be our closing prayer. Let's everybody stand. Almighty Father, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for the time to spend in your word to study his life and to study this beautiful characteristic of his character. Lord, make us meek. Make us to have the characteristics of the Anav. Thank you so much for this time together. Bless us and help us to be your hands and feet as we go back into the world tomorrow. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.